it is a substantial victory for middle-class families across the country who would no longer have to worry about a massive tax hike come January 1st. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. On the podcast today, why a horrible economy can be really good for pursuing your dreams. Even if your dream is not to be broke. But first, the Planet Money indicator from our very own Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money indicator, $379 billion. Retail sales in the U.S. were $379 billion for the month of November. Uh, that's according to numbers that are out today. This figure, it includes all kinds of things, you know, cars, TVs, food. Retail sales are going up, uh, which is a really good sign for the economy. Now, okay, there is this feeling you get when you think about retail sales, which is basically, wait, didn't, didn't we get into all this financial trouble because Americans were buying too much stuff? You know, we were living beyond our means. We were buying more than we could afford. So really, is it really a good sign to see retail sales going up again? But if you step back and look at these new retail sales numbers in the context of a few other figures, uh, everything actually looks pretty solid. For one thing, household debt is shrinking. Uh, For another, our exports are growing. Our trade deficit is small. So big picture, you take all these things together and you see, okay, we're selling more stuff to the rest of the world. There's more money coming into the United States. Uh, We're cutting our debts and we're buying more stuff. This is a very promising picture. Now, you know, of course, if we could just fix the totally messed up housing market and get those millions of jobs back, well, great, then we'd be fine. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, guys. So, Adam, let's set this whole thing up, how a bad economy may be good for pursuing your dreams. You recently took a trip to, let's call it what it is, a land where dreams come true. That's right. I went to Ithaca, New York. Actually, I went (laughs) just outside of Ithaca, the tiny town of Lyle, New York, and All right. That entire part of upstate New York is – it's not a place really of all that many dreams. It's a very depressed area with high unemployment, low wages. In fact, it was the collapse of someone else's dream or – well, the collapse of their very messy business that allowed a new dream to take root. Could you show me around a little? Yeah. This place came with about 12 tons of trash in it and on it. Um, The people who owned it had a – food concessions business and they would just like park their food truck in here when they were done and empty out all the trash into the old pigsties and it just sat there for five years and sort of sank down and disintegrated into really little pieces that are really hard to move god how did it smell uh pretty bad that's becky muma and we're walking around her dream Now, she did not have a dream to own 12 tons of rotting garbage. What she dreamed of owning was a farm. She and her boyfriend, Nick, had spent years talking about, oh, one day we're going to buy a farm. One day we'll live on a farm. And a few months ago, they decided, you know what, let's just do it. Let's make our dream come true. So they bought this farm. She's a Planet Money listener, and she wrote to us when we asked people to send us their thoughts about how they might do in a post-crisis economy. She said, we're doing great. We even have some chickens. That's a weird-looking chicken, isn't it? Is yeah. that a regular chicken? No, it's, it's not a regular chicken. It's a silver Polish. Wow, it's really cool-looking, yeah. like the crazy crown. Yeah, yeah. Um, and silver, like white and black. Yeah, yeah. It actually gets... It's it's one of the roosters that gets picked on because it's a smaller rooster. Um, 
So there's like three big roosters. You can see one of them there with the big red comb and the more traditional looking rooster. Exactly. The traditional roosters are the real mean ones and they pick on the other roosters and they pick on me. Really? Yeah. Their days are numbered. (laughs) Really? That rooster right there is going to be dinner? Yeah. That rooster is going to be dinner tomorrow or Friday. So Becky and her boyfriend, Nick Westervelt, they're both 27 and are really hard-working farmers working on their 27-acre brand-new farm. But they have a few snags, a few barriers to total farming success. So snag number one, not a lot of experience. They're not from farming families. They've never owned a farm. Their entire training consists of a few weeks one summer in high school when Nick interned on a farm. And Becky, she does have some specialized training. She has a master's degree in Islamic studies. <laughs> that, that doesn't seem particularly helpful for running a farm, especially, I have to say, a pig farm. No. As far as I know, Islamic studies offers very little guidance in the raising and slaughtering of pigs. In fact, Becky and Nick's entire business plan is based on raising and killing chickens and pigs, and they have never killed anything, ever. In fact, tonight, the night I'm visiting, they are going to shoot one of their pigs for the very first time. It's a little bit extra difficult because the pig that we're killing was sick for a really long time. She had worms. You know, we kind of nursed her back to health. And, you know, like she was the only one with a name for a while. So she's definitely, and she was the pig with the most personality, like the sweetest one. So for a while I was like pretty sure I wouldn't be able to kill her at all. But I've I've very consciously spent the last couple of months not interacting with her at all. And I think that that's helped. She's just a pig again. Now, the reason we are having these nascent farmers on the Planet Money podcast is that... This pursuit of this farming dream in the middle of an economic slowdown, this is actually consistent with an economic theory. There's an economics of farm-based dream pursuit? Yeah, it's a subdivision of the Bureau of Dream Statistics. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) But there is a theory that when an economy is doing really badly, people decide, hey, if I'm going to be broke anyway, I might as well be broke doing something I love. Right. And that's opportunity cost, right? If you leave a high paying job that you hate to pursue your dream, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. But if you can't even find a good job, then there's not as much to lose by chucking it all and pursuing your dream. Yeah. Like take Becky and Nick. So they both are college graduates and college graduates generally make a lot more than farmers do. Becky has that master's in Islamic studies. And, you know, you remember a few years ago, we happened to have an economic boom that coincided with an Islamic studies boom. Think tanks, the government, universities, everybody wanted to hoover up as many Islamic studies experts as they can. But Becky was unfortunate to graduate after those two booms had ended. It was the beginning of the recession. There was not as much hunger for anybody of any kind to work in jobs. And the Islamic studies bubble burst as well. We'd all heard about the housing bubble, but not many of us were familiar with the Islamic studies bubble. But it was there. It was there. Exactly. And so she's out of school looking for a job and she cannot find anything. If the economy was good and I had a lot of options, I bet I could have found a job that I found rewarding. But I, you know, that job wasn't there. I think it it made me step out of that track and think about other things I could do that would maybe suit me better. So at least right now, Becky thinks that if she didn't happen to graduate in the middle of a recession, 
her life overall would be less satisfying. I grew all of these onions. These are there's four big bins of onions yeah, and one yeah. giant sunflower. Yeah, you know now uh, sometimes when we're eating a meal, we'll be like, okay, so we made the onions, we made the squash, we had to buy the cumin. You know, it's it's a really fulfilling feeling, and I also enjoy the work. You know, I like hanging out in the garden. I don't know. It's it's really really nice and refreshing to like use your body, be outside, breathe clean air you know, giggling at the the geese or the ducks or whatever, and then sitting down at the end of the day and being like, I can see what I did. You know, like, look at this thing that I made that wasn't there before. And that is the biggest contradiction um, for me from grad school, which I would spend, like, like, seven hours on a paper, you know, and I would feel like I accomplished a lot, but then I'd just have a paper, so, Adam, I can see how for Becky, you know, it might make sense to pursue her dream. But still, like, you, you, have, to, you have to be able to make it work a little bit. I mean, she has to make some money, even if she's going to be making less money than she would have made during the Islamic studies bubble. How is that going to work for them? I mean, they've never done this before, right? Right. And, and they definitely are going into this open-eyed. They, they know this is a, a big thing to pull off to people with no farming experience becoming successful farmers. But they feel like they've made some really smart decisions. And as far as I can tell, they have. One is they're not looking to become rich. They're looking to have a good lifestyle, to make enough on the farm to basically support living on the farm. And they've done a lot of math and read a lot of books. And they think that if they go from the three pigs they have now up to around 500 or so pigs, and if they go from the handful of chickens they have up to a few thousand, then they'll be able to make this whole thing work. Now, for for the time being, though, the, the, the farm is not bringing in any revenue or certainly not enough to, to keep it going. So those boring city jobs that they were trying to get away from, that is what is allowing them to keep doing this farming thing. Becky works as an assistant in a law office in Ithaca. Nick does some welding. They're hoping pretty soon to quit and just farm, but they don't know exactly when that's going to be. But in terms of the broader picture, they are pursuing a dream that they probably never would have if if there hadn't been a recession. So I think we can pretty much close the book on this. Recessions are fabulous for dream pursuit. And I guess that sort of clears up this other mystery. This is why everyone in America is so happy right now, right? Writing their screenplays, opening their tiny galleries, finally getting to level 17 of World of Warcraft. Exactly. It's a wonderful dream time for all of us. All right, let's throw some cold water on this whole idea that recessions are great times for dreams. First off, Becky and Nick themselves, well, yes, they're pursuing their dreams, but they were really, really lucky. They couldn't get a loan to buy the farm, you know, with the housing bubble collapse. It's really hard for young people to get loans of any size at all. Luckily for them, Becky's parents had enough money that they were able to buy the farm for them. They lent them 160-something thousand at a really good parent's rate. So obviously, very few people in America have parents who can just write a check for one farm and allow them to pursue their dreams. And even if you do have family money or other resources that you can turn to to help you pursue your dream in a recession, farming turns out to be a particularly ideal dream to pursue. I mean, if you think about farming, land is the main thing you need. And in this recession in particular, the price of land has really fallen a lot. So so you're actually getting pretty good value for your buck here. And Becky and Nick, 
benefited particularly from the economic downturn. They were able to get this land cheap because that owner of the land before, the one with the food vendor business and all that garbage, went belly up. And Becky and Nick have this other huge recession-related benefit. They get a lot of free labor. They have all these friends in New York and Chicago and other big cities who are underemployed and don't really have all that much to do. So decide, hey, might as well go up and spend a weekend on the farm. At least it'll be cheap and I'll help them out and build a fence or something. So if your dream is farming, it's actually a pretty good dream to have in a recession. If you have other dreams, though, you might be in worse shape. Yeah, actually, I found that out on the farm. So those friends, the ones doing the sawing and banging you heard in the background, giving them all this free labor, every one of them are artists. And they made clear this recession is really, really bad if your dream happens to be to create art. We lit a fire and stood around it. And I talked to one of the friends, Andy Braddock. He's a dancer, a very specific kind of dancer. What kind of dance do you do? Uh, well, I trained... Mostly in this kind of dance called Butoh, which is from Japan. Um, so it's sort of like contemporary, weird movement art. So, Alex, you might be shocked to learn that there's not a lot of money in weird Japanese art movement dance. In fact, I know that because my mother runs a dance company and she's done some weird Japanese art movement dance. Now, there never has been all that much money in weird experimental dance, but Andy says things are particularly bad right now in Chicago, where he lives. It's getting very competitive to, to get money and to get funding and to get space. And so. And why is it getting more competitive? Because everyone needs money now. And so everyone's applying, you know, whenever something comes up in Chicago, there aren't that many big grants or big, like there's, there's, there's a handful of. One's available to dancers and everyone applies to them, you know, because um, money is a little bit scarcer. And and from what I understand from my mom and others is during bad economic times, charitable money tends to go more towards vital things like food and yeah, shelter. Right. I mean, that's a, yeah, art is sort of seen as, uh, as you know, it's like frivolous or... Um, and so that's one of the things. An indulgence. Get, uh, an indulgence, yeah. Yeah, Alex, it, it reminded me, you and I first became friends in Chicago in, in the 1990s. The economy was growing fast. We both had a lot of friends in theater and dance. And nobody was getting rich, except, I guess, David Schwimmer. But it was not that hard to put on shows, rent space, get an audience to pay for your thing. I mean, you know, remember in Wicker Park and up in... Lincoln Square, there was just always someone putting on a show somewhere, and there were grants available. Like, it, it was not that hard. Life was pretty good if you were an artist. And when I think back on that time, I, I always sort of chalked it up to, okay, well, that was just, like, young people just out of college doing the thing that they do before, before they decide to sort of go on and do something else. But but now I think about it, and it was that was a particularly vibrant economy back then in the, in the mid to late 90s, and that had a lot to do with it. And many of those people who we're still friends with are still working actors or, or working in some way in the arts because they had that that period to flourish. And and, and I did, standing with Andy and, and the other young artists, wonder maybe their life is going to go a little differently. Like Andy says that this month he's going to leave Chicago. He says it just was too hard. He's a 
bicycle mechanic to make money, but it was too hard to make enough money to pay his rent. And then he never had enough time to dance. So he's decided to move to North Carolina. He's never lived in North Carolina, doesn't know that much about it, but someone told him he could get a cheap place to live in Asheville and maybe he could find some artists there to hang out with. And all the other friends at the farm had similar stories. One of their friends is this woman who is pursuing her dream to be a painter. And she told me before the recession, she sold paintings for like 750 bucks, which she could kind of make a living at. Now she can only get $100 a painting. So she's living what for some people might even be a nightmare, not a dream. She's moved back in with her parents and she's decided she's going to give art a few more months. But more than likely, she's going to give it all up and become a teacher. All right. So case closed. Recessions are horrible for dreams. Exactly. I think we have just proved in this podcast that recessions are either wonderful or horrible for dreams. And as you know, Adam, at at Planet Money, we've been taking this macroeconomics course once a week. It's just something that we decided we wanted to do. And the professor, he's this adorable and uh, adorably named man, Andrea Bubala. That's right, Bubala. He's a professor at, at Columbia University. And he's always talking about these examples where there are two lessons you can draw from something and they totally contradict each other. For for example, one that just recently came up. He said that economists believe that, for example, when wages go up, people will work more hours because... Um, if they can make more money, they want to they want to work more so that they can buy stuff that they want. But then he said economists also believe that when wages go up, people work less hours because if you're if you make more money, you don't need to work as much. And so when we asked him which is it, he said, "Well, it depends on which story you want to believe." Basically, and and what you discovered on the farm, Adam, is 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 basically the same thing that comes up in our economics classes all the time. You've got the same fact, the recession, and then you've got two different stories that you can tell. One story, recessions are great for dream pursuit. Just look at Becky and her boyfriend and their farm. The other story, recessions are horrible for dream pursuit. Look at all the underemployed artists who are helping Becky and her boyfriend out for free. Case frustratingly unclosed. Yeah. So I wanted to figure out if Becky and Nick and the artists are just weird anecdotal examples or or do they represent bigger trends? So so first on farming, um, I, I spoke with some economists at the Department of Agriculture who said that big picture, the story of farming in America for more than a century is people leaving it, not going to it. So so basically for a hundred years Every year, there are fewer farmers than the year before, except for one year, 1935, the heart of the Depression. Which I have to think was not because a whole bunch of people in 1935 went back to the land to pursue their dreams. I think they were just probably hoping to eat. Exactly. Now, I, I wanted to figure one thing out. I, certainly in Brooklyn, New York, where where I live and you live, Alex, there's a lot of people who say they want to move to a farm and start farming like urban hipsters who've, who've never farmed before. And I tried to see, is, is that really a trend or is that just a very, very small number of people? And I could not find any data on that at all. I certainly found some organizations and others who say anecdotally, yes, we hear about more and more people. But as far as the big aggregate data on farming, the core story is still fewer and fewer farmers every year. Okay. So that's the farmers. What about artists? Is there any data on that? Yeah. So so the artist picture, I think, was, was, was fairly clear. Economic downturns are bad for artists, full stop, but maybe not quite as bad as you would think. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the number of people who make their living as artists 
went up when the economy was growing, like in the 90s and the early part of this decade. But in the last two years, it has gone down. So since the recession began, more and more people have decided to no longer make their living as artists, or it was decided for them. But it's only gone down by around 1% or 2%. Now, the artists who still say that being an artist is their primary way of making a living, their unemployment rate is way, way, way above average. So if this slowdown continues, it's easy to imagine that substantially more will give it up. All right. So, Adam, I do have one more question. Did they ever kill the pig? Yeah, so I was there for it. We, we made the uh, decision not to play that tape. I was really nervous about this because they had never killed a pig before. Uh, Nick, Becky's boyfriend, said that he read four different blogs with advice on how to kill a pig, so he felt pretty confident. I thought this would be a mess, but he did a great job in the sense that he shot and bled the pig really, really quickly, really respectfully, I thought, with what seemed to me at least to be a minimum of pain and suffering. You can see some pictures of Becky and Nick's farm on our blog, npr.org slash money. We also have a link to their blog, bigmanandjohnson.blogspot.com, on our site as well. And as always, let us know what you thought of today's show. You can send us an email, planetmoney at npr.org, or find us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening.